The following message is from the 2016 IBCD Summer Institute. Disordered Desires, Bringing Grace to Modern Sexuality. I'm George Scipione. Uh, I run a program at a seminary in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the Reformed Presbyterian Theological Seminary, fifth oldest uh, seminary in the country, um, started in 1810. And it's the only one of those original old ones that uh, still hold to the word of God. So uh, it's not liberal. It's very conservative. Very interesting place. Uh, It's uh, psalm singing, unaccompanied Presbyterians with a lot of, you know, black Pentecostal and Baptists. So it's, it's a very interesting combination. It's in an urban situation in Pittsburgh. It's one of the most unusual, I think, seminaries in the country. I was uh, working for IBCD. Actually, I'm older than dirt. Uh, I was here at the beginning. I came out. It was CCEF West at that time, and uh, we eventually became IBCD. When I left for a pastorate in 2006, we handed it over to Grace Bible Church. And as often in my life, when I leave, something grows. So... uh, uh, the Peter Principle, you get to your level of incompetency and then they move you on. So uh, this is on uh, keys to evangelism in a sexualized culture. So we're going to be talking in a sense about evangelism in general, but particularly in the context of counseling. So uh, we're not talking about how to do street witnessing or you know, going to a gay bar or whatever not talking about anything like that. I'm talking about mostly in the context of that. So let's pray before we start, and then we can look at this, our, our subject. Father in heaven, we come to you, and we are totally dependent on you as creatures. And we are totally dependent upon you as creatures in Jesus Christ. We can't make ourselves be born or born again. And we certainly can't produce the fruit of the Spirit except in the arms of our Savior through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, I pray that you'll cleanse me, fill me, and that, Lord, you'll help me to be pure in what I say, plain, uh, pithy to the point, uh, pointed, and that we might be powerfully productive in our evangelism, in our relationships. In Christ's name, amen. So you have your notes in the the book. I'm going to follow those notes. Uh, someone, what page is it? 57, 57 in your notebook. Uh, I'm going to do that because uh, I won't start preaching or I'll go off and, you know, uh, we won't cover the material. But I want to leave plenty of time for Q&A at the end, okay? Uh, normally when I teach at seminary, uh, this is what I do. You read the class notes. You have to have read them ahead of time. Because why should I lecture on what you can read? And then let's discuss it over cases, etc. So let's look at your notes and go through this, okay? Uh, Counseling sinful uh, sexual sufferers. People who suffer from sexual sins. Both the victims and the perpetrators, I think, is like being a plumber or a septic tank cleaner. It's dirty, messy work, but it has to be done. Uh, It's not pretty. 
Uh, oftentimes, especially if I'm dealing with a, a molest case, uh, I feel like I need to go home and take a shower morally, not just physically. Uh, because when you're in uh, the sewage, it can cling to you, and the scripture warns about that. And uh, a graphic picture, this actually happened. I have a friend. Uh, we've both been to Uganda. He did a lot more work. He's been there an awful lot. And uh, as a true story that there was a little boy who fell in a pit toilet. And of course, most Ugandans, because there's not a lot of water except around Lake Victoria, they don't know how to swim. And the little boy was going to ground. And a man had to go into, literally into the toilet to save that boy. And he said, that is a very good picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us. He who was in the form of God didn't cling to that. They didn't, the Father didn't have to throw Jesus out of heaven. He volunteered. Dove into the womb of Mary, uh, took our nature without sin, with all the weakness, in the likeness of sinful flesh, not like Adam in the garden, a perfect body, uh, the likeness of sinful flesh to save us. And if you're going to save people, you need to see that picture. However, obviously, you don't want to be polluted in that process. You don't want to become tainted. One of our daughters says, please don't go back to Brazil. You might get Zika. Okay. Uh, you don't want to be near someone and contract AIDS. And morally speaking, you don't want to go near someone who's polluted or sick and in the process, begin to degenerate yourself uh, biblically, theologically, personally. In fact, there's two passages that are really clear. Turn, if you will, to the book of Jude. And this will frame our discussion tonight. Uh, similar in Second Peter chapter 2, we won't read that, but let me read a good portion, starting with verse 3 in the book of Jude. Beloved... Although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Because certain people have crept in, obviously talking about the church, crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who what? pervert, who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, remember he was in the cloud and the pillar, he brought them out of Egypt. Afterward, destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulge in sexual immorality and pursued a natural desire 
serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams defile the flesh, reject authority, blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understanding instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. Kind of a little quick biblical theology through all the judgments. These are blemishes on your love feasts as they feast with you without fear, looking after themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, quote, Behold, the Lord came with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. End of quote. They are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own godly passions. In these, it is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now, there's a lot there. I'm not going to take time to expound the whole passage. Second Peter is very, very similar and it ends up with, as a dog returns to its vomit, you know, you know all that. The pig to its mire, so do people go back, okay? So when you're working with people, now, again, they're really not different than us. Why? They're sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. They're rebels like you and I. They, they've bitten the fruit. It says, I can be anything I want. We heard Sam talk about in the first session. This whole idea, this is, you know, most of you weren't alive then, but, you know, the 60s were kind of like, this is Alice's Restaurant. You can be anything you want at Alice's Restaurant. I mean, this is, the whole culture is on a bad acid trip. Yeah? The United States is on a bad acid trip, okay? And uh, no one's waking up to the reality, okay? These are the dangers, okay? So you need a prudent fear when you deal uh, with sexuality. 
Uh, now, people said this. Well, you know, if a woman's been molested, she needs to have a good relationship, you know, with a man to be treated correctly. That may be true, but that's not me. She gets my wife for counseling, okay? And in these days, I mean, there are some advantages of being ugly. I mean, to be honest, I've only been hit on in 45 years of ministry once. And she wasn't blind, but she was an ex-prostitute, so she didn't have a lot of discernment. But the bottom line is, okay, so, so you young guys that are handsome or good-looking women, that can be a problem. But these days, I'm really being serious, is that, that it may even be same-sex, you know? And, and what I'm going to contend is you're only going to be able to evangelize in a sense if you're asexual, not because you're not a man or a woman, but because of who you know you're in Christ, okay? So, so in a sense, evangelism has to remove sexuality from it. Otherwise, you just can't evangelize. Okay? So uh, second thing, uh, an introduction. God, Christ's gospel holds out real hope. Amen? Amen? Because 1 Corinthians 6 says, such what? Were some of you past tense. Now, here's the interesting thing. Okay? In that list is included what? Adulterers, fornicators, and homosexuals. Okay? Now, I don't know about all of you. I trust that you're all Christians. That's another sermon for another time. I got to seminary unconverted. So if I could get to seminary unconverted, you could get to a biblical counseling conference and still not be born again. I remind you that Judas performed miracles. He had the gifts of the Spirit, but not the graces of the Spirit. He wasn't converted. Now, I'm not doing that to scare you, but the bottom line is, you know, half the time people in secular circles go into psychology to get answers for themselves. And you may be here, you know, in biblical counseling because the bottom line is, you know, you're the problem. Well, you know, you've got to get straightened out. You'll never be perfect, but you have to be born again, and you have to be filled with the Spirit, or you're not fit to help anybody. You're not fit to lead people to McDonald's, let alone to the cross. So, so 1 Corinthians, what? And you were set apart, sanctify. You were washed, and you were justified in the name of Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit. Now, I submit to you, okay? We all have different ethnic backgrounds. We all have different, uh, some are women, some are men. But when you got converted, you're what? Your genetic makeup didn't change, did you? When you got converted, you didn't become a man if you were a woman or the other way around. You know, if you're Afro-American, you didn't become Italian. You know, if you're Italian, you become a Swede. The bottom line is, uh, so think about it. If regeneration, sanctification changes past tense, then it can't be genetic. That's the good news. Because the whole argument today is, I am what I am. Remember Samson? I am what I am. You know? <clears throat> I think I'm a dragon. I must be a dragon. If I think I'm a woman, I must be a woman. No. And if I think I'm a hamburger, it doesn't make me a hamburger. I tell my friends, you know, uh, what's a gospel confession, right? What, what is an orthodox confession? Jesus is Lord, right? But if I get a parrot to fly forward during an invitation, oh, Jesus is Lord, oh, Jesus, is the parrot saved? Well, of course, you're going yes. No, I'm teasing. 
No, the parrot's not saved because the parrot's not an image bearer of God. And I hate to say it, Jesus didn't die for parrots. He died for the seed of Abraham. So so really when you begin to think biblically, a lot of this confusion begins to melt away. And tomorrow in the seminar, talk about gender blending and confusion. We'll talk about that in particular. But there's a lot of hope, okay? And there's lots of passages. And this is, again, for counseling. You have 1 Corinthians 6, and then you have the rest of the chapter that talks about what? Your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit, you know? You're united with Christ in spirit and body. So don't give your body or your spirit over to immorality, heterosexual or homosexual or bestial or whatever you know, the, the perversion du jour is. Okay? So the reality is we have that. Chapter 7 talks about marriage, etc. So there's a lot. In fact, I'm going to give a seminar in Brazil, Lord willing, uh, up in Asife in, in August. It's called What Corinth Could Teach Us About Sex. And by the way, just as an aside, an important aside, we always think of the early church as pure, right? This this idea that the early church was Ananias and Sapphira dying in the middle of the church service, okay? You know, Corinth, I would never tell you to take the, you know, it had to be a Presbyterian church. I'm Presbyterian. Well, it had elders, so, you know, locally it was... You know, First Presbyterian Church of Corinth. I would have never told a young pastor, go take that church. <laughs> right? Not straight on the gifts. They're not even straight on the resurrection. You know, the women and men are fine. It's a mess of a church. I'd go, don't take that out of seminary. <laughs> okay? That's the early church. And then if you want to add to it, and someday I'd like to give a seminar on that, how to counsel a church. The seven churches of Revelation. Two of them had what? Sexual immorality, right? The one had what? The Nicolaitans, whatever that is really, but they're close to Balaam. And what did Balaam say? Okay, look, God would never let me curse him. But here's what you do. Get them all juiced up, get them sexed up, and God will kill them for you. Remember? And that's what he did. And 23,000 fell in one day. And when Israel you know, got to Balak, they also killed Balaam. And there was a church actually teaching that. You can indulge in sexual immorality, and it's okay. And there was the other one who had a woman who thought, maybe she was, thought she was a prophetess, right? And what's she doing? Literally, she's sleeping with people in the congregation. So, so much for the pure early church, okay? It's always been a mess, and salvation's always been by grace. And, and anyway, so, so there's rich material there. There's Ephesians 5, uh, those are 3 through 20, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8. There's a lot of passages that directly speak to sexual immorality. And you can use those in your counseling with people that struggle with it. And inversely, what do I need to protect myself and the counselee from? Now, Lisa Fitzpatrick, who's speaking here, she wrote an article a long time ago uh, with another woman, Carol Cornish. They did a book, Women, Counseling Women. And uh, a long time ago, in the, in the male-female context, it was like, hey, you know, you're always worried about the pastor. What about a woman? You take this woman who has this lousy, no-good, stinking husband, and you put her with what? A respectful, kind, Christ-like man, and you don't expect her to struggle? 
Because women have fantasies as well as men. And that's another subject we'll talk about. Everyone wants to live in a dream world instead of the real world. Okay? The bottom line is some of us just don't have hair. No matter what we're going to do, we're not going to have hair. And the bottom line is if we just dream about having hair, we're going to be miserable. Just like if I want to be seven feet tall and play in the NBA, guess what? I'm going to be a miserable guy for the rest of my life. Okay? And if I did, it's good being 70 because it'll be a shorter life. <laughs> but right, you know what I'm saying? I can't accept the fact of the limitations of who I am. I've got enough problems getting rid of sin, let alone getting rid of these crazy ideas. And so the man lives, why do men live in pornography? It's real simple. Because it doesn't talk back. <laughs> right? You wives are wonderful, but you take care. It takes work to love a real live woman. Okay? And so guys would rather have this dream world of pornography. And women, those romance novels. Okay? Now, women are moving into hardcore pornography you know, for other reasons. Because, again, as Sam was saying, everything is sex now. So I hate to say it, we're among adults. It's almost like all you are is your orgasm. That's the defining factor of who you are. Oh, really? That's really weird. You know, if you really think that that's the defining factor of who you are, then you're really just going to mess up the rest of your life. Okay? Okay. So, uh, again, you must carefully evangelize the lost who are at once sexual victims and victimizers. You have to understand this. Never blame a woman or a young guy who gets molested. They're not asking for it. But, you know, if you ever work with people who have been molested, you realize that people are survivors. Okay? And even the victim has to come up with some way of dealing with this to survive the molest. And I can give you cases of that. Um, but uh, So sex, again, sex sells everything today. I, I, if I were a woman, I'd really be resentful. You know? What do my breasts have to do with tires, toothpaste, and anything else? Okay? But sex sells, okay? And now, you know, same sex and everything else. Because everyone wants to treat us like Pavlov's dogs. Get a person so trained that all you do is ring the bell and you go buy the car or you go buy the product or whatever. We have reduced a personal, tender, uh, almost uh, human response of love to animal sexuality. And the reality is, you know, well, I could go on. I just gave a long talk on that at our, our, our conference in April. And how do we get here? Well, Lord Kinsey. You know, Kinsey at the University of Indiana basically was a sexual pervert. He was an omnivore, you know, sex with anything or that moves or whatever. They're doing experiments on six-month-old kids trying to get them to come to work. That's the guy that writes the book on sexuality, and everybody begins to believe it in all the universities, etc. Laws are changed, and that's part of where we are today because of a deliberate an attempt to pervert sexuality. So all this stuff that's happening now in the Supreme Court, we go, well, how's it happening? It was a long time coming, and people were asleep at the wheel. So sex can be used to keep people from God. 
Now, I'm not a prophet nor a son of a prophet, but I really believe that uh, we're going to live to see the day in America, if God doesn't do, do something, then they're going to have temple prostitutes. Evangelical churches are not only going to have coffee breaks, they're going to have sex breaks. You say, oh, that's... Corinth. Remember? Corinth's whole argument was, it's all lawful, right? It's real simple logic. Food is for what? My stomach. It's perfectly normal. Sex is for what? For my genitals. So why not? It's just like scratching my back. I just go have sex. And Paul's fighting that in Corinth. He's going, stop. You don't get it. You become one with the prostitute. You're, You're really uniting. You can't go worship an idol and worship Christ. As I tell people, try to say it kindly, only to adults, is Christ doesn't shack up with people. He only marries them. Okay? He doesn't have one-night stanzas or two-night stanzas. Okay? You need to make a full-life commitment to Jesus Christ. So all that's the background. Okay? The first point is this, and you know this, but I have to pound away. You have to be holy yourself. You must be born again and love God more than yourself. Why? One of the Beatitudes is why? Let's go through the whole thing. Blessed are the... Well, we got, yeah, that's where I wanted to jump there, but I think we ought to lead up to it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Because I have nothing, right? And if I have nothing to offer God but my sin, then I'm what? I'm going to mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. See, then we get up. Blessed are the what? Pure in heart because they'll see God. It's not just sexual. It's I have a single heart toward God. And this goes for anything else besides sexuality. If you don't have a hunger and thirst for God and he isn't the most important thing in your life functionally as well as theoretically, you're not going to be a good counselor. Because you're not bringing people to yourself, you're bringing people to Christ. And if Christ isn't being formed in you, then you can't say with Paul, be an imitator of me as I am of Christ Jesus. So again, you have to be born again. Are you born again? Has God given you a new heart? Uh, Are you really basically living for God. Second great commandment is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, to make a long story short, what's the problem with sexuality today? Self-centered. It's the definition of sex. Sex is for whom? According to our culture. Me. You know, if I think I'm a woman or I think I'm a man or I think I'm a a donkey or or, or a, a dragon, whatever I think I am, you know, that's who I really am, and you have to accept me, and I need to express myself that way. Well, if that isn't self-idolatry, self-worship, I don't know what is. And because sexuality is so strong, it just reinforces that self-centeredness. Okay? So functionally, you're going to help people only if you're pure and holy yourself, which is 
Love the Lord your God with your whole heart, whole mind, soul, and strength. And what? Your neighbor as yourself. That's the functional way that you have to live and counsel if you're going to have any blessing on people that don't know the Lord or confused. Okay? Secondly, there under that, you must love your spouse above yourself. Um, and this may be only um, Jesus if you have the gift of celibacy. That could be a whole separate uh, topic. What is singleness? What's the gift? Never heard a sermon on it. You know, it says in 1 Corinthians 7, some have a charismatic gift of what? Of singleness and some of marriage. So I tell people all the time, being single isn't so you can go skiing. You know, singleness isn't so you can go indulge in whatever you want to do. Singleness is, hey, I'm going to be a combat chaplain. I'm not sure that, you know, I want you to be a widow. So... No, I'm not going to get married. I'm content. See how centered it is in God? So, and see, again, sex becomes so Gollum-like, right? Oh, my precious. <laughs> see, that's the cultural picture of sexuality today. Sex. As opposed to, hey, here's a gift that I give to my spouse. Totally. It's almost like Satan put his hand in and pulled the glove inside out. Everything's backwards. C, you must love your neighbor and do no harm. Romans 3. We could go into that again. Not a lot of time, but love is what? Doing what's good for the other person. Sometimes that may mean jail. Yeah, you know, if I've got if I got even a family member who's a criminal and ripping people off and killing people and raping people, guess what? If I love that person, I'm going to say you got to face the consequences of what you're doing. And it's not love to let the person get away with it. So uh, when I come to evangelize, you know, in terms of informal friendship or or whatever. In a sense, I have to, to really think, what's good for this person? What will, what will help them and not do any harm? Today, sex equals self. You know, we've, Sam said that very well. We don't have to go with that. Western culture is kind of a, a mess, masturbatory mess. You know? I mean, really, sex has become almost equated. Whatever you want to put it in, whether it's other people or it's almost masturbatory. It's a self-satisfaction. That's what our whole culture has degenerated into. So if you're not going to love me, I'll love me. <clears throat> because after all, <clears throat> I deserve a break today. <clears throat> well, it comes out grossly. I deserve an orgasm when I feel like I deserve an orgasm. No, you don't. Because 1 Corinthians 7 says, guys, get this, right? Your body's mine. <clears throat> and guess what? The wife goes, yeah, and so yours is mine too. And guess what? Get your hands off yourself and stop doing that. Then stop watching that pornography because I don't want it. <clears throat> the wife has a right to say it. A little nicer than that. But, but that's the reality, right? Right? Hey, that's not your body. 
that body was went for me. <clears throat> Most guys don't know how to please their wife. Well, that's their job to have to learn that. But see, see, that's the whole issue. So sex becomes self-centered instead of God-centered and other-centered, and we've got to break that. So you must be nailed to the cross, resurrected with Christ, <clears throat> and as, as uh, Samson, our identity is what? <clears throat> Christ. Male or female, that's our goal is to become like him. See, and that's <clears throat> the protection that you need so that you don't get kind of like, oh, wow, you sort of like me. Remember? That's really what happens in same-sex attraction as well as heterosexual, right? Oh, that person. I know people have gotten caught in homosexuality just because of that. <clears throat> oh, yeah. People have been to Christian colleges and there's someone with a same-sex attraction, you know, and I know of one case, uh, volleyball players, you know, and, and the one gal had same-sex attraction. You know, she sort of manipulated the other girl, and she sort of got turned on, and she thought, well, maybe I'm gay. <clears throat> said, no, I don't think so. I think the person who kind of manipulated you was pretty good at it. Okay. So we got to think clearly. Okay. You need to be pure and holy. The second thing, major point, your life... And counsel must be God-centered and point to him. Even if the problem is a sexual problem, you know, you've got to go back to the basics. I tell people anymore after 44 years, two things I've learned, finally, took me a long time. One, I'm not the Holy Spirit. I should have known that a long time ago, but I'm not going to talk anybody into the kingdom, and I'm not going to talk anybody out of their sin. I need to argue with them and love them, and do the best I can, but it's the work of the Holy Spirit. And secondly, people come in. In 45 years of ministry, only once did somebody come in and say, I need to tell you how God is blessing me. They all come in with problems. And obviously, they want me to fix those problems. And anymore, I tell them, That's not my agenda. If we can fix the problems, praise God, that's extra. But my goal is to get you in a right relationship with God. Your issues are secondary. I don't mean they're unimportant, but the point of the matter is I can't even guarantee that if you do the right thing, the problem is going to change. In fact, it might get worse. Now, I want to be honest with you. So my job is to get you in a right relationship with God or a better relationship with God so that you can survive this in a godly manner. So 2A, God is the center of the universe, including sexuality. He created four humans as part of the image of God and man. However, it is not to be worshipped. And I would almost have to say, get Peter Jones' stuff. You can see Truth Exchange downstairs. Get his materials. He's got the God of sex and other things uh, where really uh, homosexuality and, you know, that kind of uh, this uh, pansexuality really is part of a worship issue. I don't know if any of you have ever looked into or seen Hinduism. The pantheon of Hindu gods are all sexual perverts. You can go back and see Uh, Hindu temples with bestiality and all kinds of sexual perversion on it. And uh, you wonder why there was a lot of temple prostitution. 
of kids in India. It's a religious outworking of pansexuality. And as Peter points out, the reason is why. What's Satan trying to do particularly there? There's no differences between male and female. There's no differences between right and wrong, which then means you can be God. And underneath Eastern mysticism is really that. All this is illusion, and underneath it all, we are really what? One with God. And therefore, there's no right and wrong. There's no male or female. Uh, you know, and that gets played into our culture in terms of neither male nor female, Greek nor Jew. You know, so there's no differences. Uh, they're all surface. But the distinction runs right through the universe. There's God and everything he created. It's really binary. My wife says we've got to the insane, uh, what was it, a federal judge just this week said that a man who wanted to be a thinks he's a woman can have his birth certificate changed to non-binary. Non-binary, which means not male and female. So it's just this general category of amorphous sexuality. And we have federal judges making those kinds of decisions. And I simply say, again, not to be nasty, it's Romans 1. Professing ourselves to become wise, we become fools. Worshiping the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. Amen. So, God is the center of the universe, and sexuality needs to, one, please God, and two, needs to please spouse. And three, if you get pleasure out of it, that's fine. So I tell people who are gender confused and struggling, my job is not to turn you from a homosexual lusto into a heterosexual lusto. That's, that's not the goal. I need to turn you from a creature worshiper into a creator worshiper, a sinless, you know, by explaining away sin to a sin-forgiven one through the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you see, hopefully things are beginning to make sense now. You see, it just falls into simple issue. What's your identity? Is it in Christ? B, God is the center of solution, not asceticism. Look at Colossians 2 and 3. Just beating yourself up just saying no, no, no to sin is not enough. You have to replace it with love of God. See, because what Sam was saying about the, you know, the, the Gnostic tendency to, to denigrate the body, there were two opposites. One was asceticism. Well, the body's really keeping my spirit, which is good, in there, so destroy the body. The other one was, hey, since the body's going to die and it's not the real you, do whatever you want, sex, whatever, because it doesn't matter, because the real you is good. You see that kind of running through our culture today. See, God and his fear are the keys. First Thessalonians, don't rip each other off. You know, make sure that you hold your vessel, your body, in purity, and whatever you do, don't start ripping people off in the congregation, because this doesn't please God. But where's the key? The fear of 
of God. So uh, God gave me the grace. Uh, I should have listened to my secretary who warned me that I don't trust that woman, but the woman who hit on me, uh, she said, I'm not real bright, but I'm thinking what I heard you just say is, can we get it on? I said, first of all, wouldn't honor God. Second of all, I've been trying to salvage your marriage for the last five years, and I don't want to throw that, you know, all down the toilet. The fear of God. And I will tell you this much. If the fear of God ran through a lot of these evangelical pastors who know the gospel, preach the gospel, praise God, they're gifted, more gifted than I am, but it's all grace, all grace, all grace. It is all grace. But grace is built on the fear of God. The fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom, and wisdom is what embraces Christ. No fear of God, no real faith. Or to put it in more simpler terms, no real repentance, no real faith. And we can so exalt grace, which we need to, and people do that. But what it becomes? It becomes a cover for their own sin. Oh, well, you know, I know I'm slipping into this, but God will forgive me. There are guys who are out of the pastorate, well-named. I don't need to name them. You know them. You've heard of them recently. They're out because of uh, adultery. Uh, There's a well-known pastor's son. The pastor's with the Lord. He's a pastor. He was in western Pennsylvania. He's in jail right now because he was soliciting sex from a 14-year-old girl who didn't happen to be a 14-year-old girl, happened to be an undercover cop who's doing time right now. Why? Because if we do not cast ourselves on the mercy of the Lord, then we're really not understanding grace. We, we have to put to death the sins of the flesh. And, and so, again, God and contentedness with his providence versus coveting are the keys. Ephesians 5. It's interesting. Covetous and idolatry and sexual sin. You read Ephesians 5, 3, through 20, you'll begin to see that connection. It's kind of an interesting connection. Because when you think about it, what's sexual lust? I want what God hasn't given me. That's a form of covetousness. Well, then how can covetousness be idolatry? It's not really the violation of the second commandment. It's the tenth. Well, the tenth, tenth, of course, goes across all of, you know, covetousness leads to stealing, it leads to adultery, etc., leads to false worship, all that stuff. But the point is, covetousness. And what's the cure? Grace and thanksgiving. So that's what you need to teach. Your life and counsel must be God-centered and pointed. And, and if you are God-centered, it's the best protection you'll have against getting involved. There may be sexuality that, you know, you go, whoa. No, okay? So for most people, maybe homosexuality is not a problem, okay? For the person who has same-sex attraction, opposite sex is no problem. But the point is desiring what I should. Thirdly, you must emphasize covenantal loyalty, not convenience. 
A lot of different things that go into that, and then we'll end up for Q&A. Um, personal versus uh, pornographic. Pornography is not a personless crime. There are people that do the pornography. There are people that take the pictures, the people that sell it. And I'll tell you, most of those are in bondage to drugs and other things. It hurts everyone. Everyone. And one of the reasons uh, I see guys turn around in their sexual issues is when I say, you got to start treating women as people. What do you mean? Well, what does Paul say? Treat the older men as fathers, older women as mothers, younger men as brothers, and younger women as there's an extra phrase. In all purity. Why? Yes, most guys, there is incest, but typically. You lust after your... What? That's my sister. No, why? You treat your sister differently, right? You punch her, you trip her, you know, until someone else messes with her, and then you protect her, right? So you don't lust after your sister or your mother. You protect them. And I tell guys, there's only two kinds of women in the world. No, no, not good-looking and bad-looking. Godly and ungodly. And it's real simple. What do you do with the godly ones? Pray for them and protect them. And what do you do with the ungodly ones? You pray for them, that God will convict and convert them, and you treat them like you know, Noah's good sons. You, know, you back in and go, here, put this over you. I can't talk to you looking like that. That's one of my wife's jobs when I was in the pastorate. Go talk to that young lady. She's not dressed appropriately. I want to tell her she's bouncing, hanging out. That's no good. Okay? <laughs> it's not my job to tell her. That's my wife's job. Hey, we actually had a gal, and I, she had a talk with her. She later was flashed by a teacher at her school because she really didn't understand. She was very buxom, and she'd walk almost up like to, you know, you'd walk back and she say, she's sending wrong messages. I don't think they're messages she intends but that girl's going to get in trouble. Sure enough, she did. She got flashed, and uh, it went to trial. They exonerated the teacher. A juror came to the mom later and said, you know, we really think he was guilty, but, you know, your daughter's 18, and she should know better. Okay. So you, you have to instruct people, personal versus pornographic, covenantal contentedness versus covetousness. There's a lot of things I wish I had that I don't. There's a lot of things God's doing at the end of my life, humbling me. Failures, my own personal failures, things I'm involved with. You're never too old to be humbled. You have to be content with what God gives you. And then a gift, again, versus Gollum, like idol, and Jesus' example. Samaritan woman, right? This is not exactly a squeaky clean woman, is she? Uh, go get your husband. Well, I don't have a husband. Lady, you're exactly right. You've had five, and the guy you're shacking up with is not your husband. Now, Jesus probably didn't use shacking up, but that's the gist of the story, right? And then and what did he say? Come, come see a guy that told me everything I've ever done. What do you, I, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. I mean, what are you going to say to somebody like that? Okay? Well, yeah, I'm the Messiah. But you see... 
there wasn't a sexual issue. Jesus is talking about water, about buckets, about eternal life, about the Messiah. It isn't a, he's not in this for himself. He's in it for what? The woman's sake and literally for the rest of that Samaritan village that comes out and they all go, hey, we believe because of what you said, but now we believe our own. He stayed there three days. Now, why is that included? Here's an extra throw in. I mean, I wish I could preach on John, but John is in Ephesus. I'm convinced of that. It was Isle of Patmos. He's writing to Gentiles. Why should you believe in a Jewish Messiah that the Jews didn't believe in? Chapter 1. He came to his own, his own didn't receive. But to you, you know, uh, and this is the first evangelism of what? Non-Jews. Okay? And they listened to him. The village is converted. So that's, that's the way you need to. Okay. Uh, exhortation for life. Uh, you need to fulfill your purpose. Westminster Shorter Catechism. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. What is the chief and highest end of man? That's the larger catechism. To enjoy, okay, to uh, live for his glory and to fully enjoy him forever. Okay? That's the purpose, not orgasm. It's to be blunt. Now, if we can keep putting, as Sam was talking, in terms of these terms, what is our goal? Our goal is what? The fruit of the Spirit, right? How can you produce the fruit of the Spirit? It can't, except in the arms of Jesus Christ. Not to be overly sexual, but the bottom line is, we are the church. It's hard for men and women, but we are the church. Christ is the bridegroom. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, we can't get pregnant. We can't produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness. It's impossible to do that except through Jesus Christ. See, And so, so the relationship with Christ is so important, whether it's breaking sexual bondage or whatever. So when you're witnessing to people, the point is point them to Christ, not proper sexuality. We can talk about that. And then I say, fine, okay, you're, you're gay, I'm not. But, you know, I'm just as bad as you. I wasn't squeaky clean before I got saved. So what's the difference? Heterosexual, homosexual, we all go to hell. I mean, Romans is really cool, isn't it? Romans 1. You don't have the Bible? What happens? Hell. Chapter 2, you have the Bible? What happens? Hell. Chapter 3, well, what good is it to be a Jew? You know? I mean, if they end up in the same place, well, no. First of all, you've got the oracles of God, right? It's a great privilege to have the scriptures. But the scriptures without Jesus is to become a Pharisee. And we're not, we're not into self-salvation. <clears throat> so <clears throat> hopefully this makes sense. You need a godly marriage. Uh, one of the hedges is, is really, to be, for me, just to be honest with you, is uh, I don't want to waste 44 years. I mean, there's an lot, a lot of sick kids, dirty diapers, <laughs> problems we've gone through. I won't want to throw that away for, for a second. I'm serious. I won't want to throw it away for a second. Why waste all that hard work? Because marriage is more than sex. Okay? And so, 1 Corinthians 7, charismatic gift of singleness or to, to, to love. Thirdly, you need to counsel in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Every time you witness or you counsel, the Holy Spirit's there. And you need to remember that. That's why when we were here in, uh, in California, when we first moved to new offices, 
I insisted that they have doors like these with windows in it. Why? Everything is open to the public. And if you're in the presence of the Holy Spirit, you have that sense. It's almost as if, you know, the Lord's leaning over heaven going, I'm watching. I'm listening. Okay, Lord. (laughs) I want to make sure all the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart are acceptable in your sight. And uh, don't always think about being creative. We need to be creative. But I tell people I never had a significant thought before I got converted, and I've never had an original one since. And that's fine. Stick with the word. So no manipulation to get praise or pleasure, because, you know, in that sense, that can open you up to sexual matters. You know, you're not looking for sex, but if you're looking for praise, then your praise better come from God and not the counselee. Because I'll tell you right now, counselees uh, may falsely praise you, which builds you up the wrong way, or they may attack you, and you have to have your security in Christ. Seek first the kingdom of God's righteousness. Wisdom, do not counsel one-on-one when sex is the or a key issue. That's just my, that's my view. Others will disagree, but I just think when sex is the primary issue, we had a same-sex issue. I got a guy to counsel the girl who had had same-sex issues because he understood, but he did team teach with another gal instead of the gal counseling the gal with the same-sex attraction. So that kind of thing, you can think that through. Finally, uh, the bad news, the good news. Bad news. We've never been closer to the Roman Empire than today. That's the bad news. The good news, we've never been closer to the Roman Empire than today. Well, why is that good news? The gospel worked then. The gospel can work now. Okay. So that's it. Uh, let me open up here for questions. If anyone has questions, application, a response to this. But this is the mindset and the way I think you need to be uh, evangelizing in a sexualized culture. It's not going to be like the campfires at camp. I'm not going to milk this for, you know, <laughs> throw another uh, log on the fire here. Everybody's got something. Okay, yes, sir. Okay, so in Romans 1, 24, where it says, Therefore God gave them up to their lusts. Who is that? Is it specific individuals or is it humanity? Okay, uh, the question is in Romans 1, uh, chapter, uh, verse 24. He gave them up. Now, Paul's, again, looking at the Roman Empire and culturally. So I think it has a broader implications there, but it can't have individual. Uh, because, interestingly, in Proverbs, I remember, I can't tell you where it is, uh, Adultery is not only punishable by God, sometimes it's a punishment. Remember, someone remember that verse where you know, who is displeased with the Lord, he allows him to fall into it. So the whole point of the Romans 1 is, guy goes, you want that stuff? Okay, I'll let you have it. Uh, it's another form of, remember the Israelites in the wilderness? <clears throat> you want meat? You want meat? Okay, I'll give you meat. Not just for a day, not just for a week, for a whole month, until you're so sick of it, okay? And remember, he gave them meat. The quail came, they stuffed it in their mouths, and 23,000 died. 
So I think it's in that overall sense that why is the pagan world where it is? Because God has left to go like Sodom and Gomorrah. You know? So this is not just individual choices. It's part of a general issue of God saying, fine, I'm going to leave the pagan nations to their own sin and stupidity, and I'm going to deliver them through the gospel. So I think, again, it's primarily cultural overall, but it's also individual. Because at the end of the chapter, remember, it says, they not only do these things, give heart, but give heart and approval to those that do. So it's individual and I think corporate. So, but I wouldn't say, oh, a person who's in homosexuality, that's a direct judgment of God. Any more than we would say to a couple that's childless, oh, you're cursed by God. You know, it's generally part of the fall, but is it specifically a punishment on that couple? You know, I don't have enough information from God to say that. So I want to be very careful to say, oh, you're being judged by God. Same thing in the homosexuality. Okay, seeing none, I'll, I'll stay afterwards and talk with you if you want to. But, uh, whoa, even five minutes early. Uh, this is uh, saving you for the rest of the conference because tomorrow, tomorrow kind of gets long. So let's pray before we go. Father in heaven, uh, we know that we're impure vessels and we don't save ourselves, we don't sanctify ourselves, but we know that we do have responsibility to humble ourselves under your mighty hand that will exalt us at the proper time. In a sense, Lord, through the Holy Spirit, help us to have our act together, to realize that, Lord, though we are sexual beings, sex is not God. We're not to worship it. We are to use it as an expression of service to you and others within the parameters of what you give. And then, Lord God, we will be a witness to others because, to be honest, they'll think we're nutcases. They'll think we're really suppressed, uptight uh, Puritans when, in fact, Lord God, we are really pleasing you. It's very, very clear, Lord God, as we look at the Old Testament, especially, but also the New, that pagan worship and pagan sexuality go hand in hand. So, Lord, help us to have godly understanding of the gospel and a godly purity that will bear uh, witnessing to the world. Bless us tonight and give us a refreshment as we prepare for tomorrow. In Christ's name, amen. Copyright 2016, IBCD. All rights reserved. More free resources are available at www.ibcd.org.